Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. He makes all things new. Do you remember how we started the new year? We talked about out with the old and in with the new. The old wineskin can't hold the new wine. We talked about the difference between the old wineskin and the new wineskin and went through the Gospel of Mark this month because we've been reading through the Bible together and that's been a wonderful experience. And so many of you have been responding to that. So we talked after out with the old and in with the new, after starting up Jesus' ministry, moving forward, uh, the idea of helping our unbelief, standing firm in faith, moving on to uh, last week we talked about uh, being watchful. Maybe things are getting a little more, little more serious in this walk with Jesus from the excitement of the startup to really watching. We don't know uh, the day or the hour. So I, I think we've started up the new year great. I hope you have too. And that together we have been going through God's word. Have you made it through the entire book of Genesis? You should have because we've ended that in uh, the first month here. And so much of it, so much of it has been renewed to me. I've got notes and things that we could, we, could preach for, we could preach for years just on the book of Genesis. So there is so much more in uh, God's word and so much has been wonderful in terms of your response. I have had just people stop me, talk to me, email me, and I have this letter here from California about reading through the Bible together. And I thought I'd share just a little bit of that encouragement with you. This comes from Joanna Jones. Now, Joanna is a great part of our congregation, but she was called to California to help a relative in need, a sick relative that she's there caring for. And she wrote me this note, and I thought I'd just share a little bit of it with you because I think it's uplifting about God's word. She said, dear pastor, while in California, I've been reading, reading, reading the word. Reading, knowing, believing, and acting upon it is true living. I pray our congregation affords themselves the privilege of and reading the word afforded to us. As the word goes forth, there is such a union of oneness, understanding, uplifting, encouragement, and confidence before our God. And I loved that sentence because here Joanna's out in California. She's away from our church. And she says, as the word goes forth, forth, there is such a union of oneness. Isn't that great that someone who's across the country is testifying to the union of oneness she has here in her local church because we're doing something together and she's making sure she's part of it. She is, says, I'm processing the word of God or processing the word of God in our minds allows God to speak expressly to us. And isn't that the case? She says, I've gleaned so much. And she goes on to tell how uh, some things in the word have just hit her so squarely about being redeemed. And she closes, what a gift we have received. I have been redeemed. Amazing in Christ, Joanna. So this is a great thing. The word of God is unifying and it's wonderful. And 
I hope you have picked up some of that infectiousness of, of the unity in God's word and continue it like, like someone who is called to be a servant in another state and yet is remaining part of this. It's very, very encouraging. We've had a great startup. Let's keep it going together. Let's keep moving together. Let's keep pressing on. Let's keep moving forward. All things are new. Let's not go back to, to the old. That song that we just heard testifies to that. All things are new. Let's keep moving forward in the new, pressing on. That's a topic that I want to talk to you about this morning. And I begin with this question. For most of you. Now, there's a good group of you who will say, you don't know what I'm talking about, and I, I can't really change that because you weren't around for this, but I want to ask this question. Do you remember December 31st, 1999? How many of you remember that? Yeah, what, and, and how many of you were all nervous and afraid and you thought the world was going to end and it was going to be the apocalypse? I hope not too many of you in this room, but... Turning from 1999 to 2000, we called it Y2K, the year 2000, Y2K. It was in the headlines for years, wasn't it? There was this uh, sort of a haze of, of just gloom and doom looking forward to the turn of the century because on December 31st, 1999, that was going to be the last day. Everything was going to work and then then everything was going to fail because of this computer bug. They called it the Y2K bug. It was really just because of many in the software industry, the programmers had taken a shortcut and they, they put down two digits to represent years. And so why would that be a big deal, right? What was the big problem? Well, if your bank was doing an amortization schedule for your mortgage and you bought your house in 1995 and it was 1999, there may have been some math calculation there. 95 minus 99, you've had your home four years. Easy math, no problem. But what was going to happen when the calendar flipped? And now the year was represented with two zeros. It would be 95 minus two zeros. So now you owned your house for negative 95 years. And of course, that was going to goof up all the math, right? And, and chaos would ensue. The banks would be, they'd be going crazy. And this was uh, said to have infected all the utilities. So the water was going to get shut off. The electricity, with the whole grid was going to stop. In 1999, no lights, no flat, you know, there it... Uh, Times Square, where it's always lit up, it would just go dark. Mm. You know, everything was going to stop. Yeah, it, it, that, that was what, you know, this craze was. It was really a fear people had. They feared this uh, computer bug was so pervasive that everything was no water, nothing. Martial law was going to be declared. This is, these are the kinds of things that were being said. Anxieties were so high. This was from January 1st, 2000, Time Magazine. It says, as police throughout the world secured emergency bunkers for themselves, the Time Magazine and Time Incorporated Information Technology staff set up a generated powered war room in the basement of the Time and Life building. It was filled with computers and equipment ready to produce the magazine in case of a catastrophic breakdown of electricity and communications. They actually put that in their, in their January 1st, 2000 magazine. And of course, none of it happened. They, they could produce their magazine from the same old, you know, cluttered offices they were using before. 
This whole idea of the apocalypse, it was hysteria. It was hype. And then what happened? Nothing. Nothing, really. I mean, there may have been some glitches here and there. Maybe there were some computer guys pulling their hair out for some things. But the glitches that were uh, predicted and prophesied, they never came to be. So, hey, if you were born in 2000 or after, you missed all that excitement. It was probably all for the best, too. I'm, I bring you up to speed, but life went on as normal. But if you were one of those who were around then, how did you approach it? Did you, did you plan or did you make any provisions? Time kept marching on. See, in this incident, time kept marching on. You knew when it was coming. No one can stop the clock. It was this collective event. We were all involved. We were all going to go through it together, whether the grid was going to die or not. And sometimes life is like that, isn't it? We, we go through it together. We've completed the Gospel of Mark. We've read that together. And we read about Jesus' ministry, right, and his followers. And their startup was really great. These men who were following Jesus, they left jobs, they left home, and they started to follow him. They were convinced that he was the one. This is the Messiah. This is the one we are going to put all of our hopes on for the future. We're going with him. And they witnessed some amazing miracles, didn't they? Yeah, they had their doubts. They did have their doubts. And they had their times where things, they had their struggles. We talked about they were trying to cast that demon out of that one boy. And what happened? They couldn't do it. And that was, a, that was a moment of uh, despair and doubt for them. And, and then we also know, as you read through the gospel, they saw 5,000 fed. Well, the second time it happened, they, they started asking, where's the bread going to come from? It wasn't a great experience for them. They were asking, how are we going to feed them? It, it, was, uh, it was something that questioned, they, or they questioned their faith. And as they moved forward, it seemed they were going to experience sort of their own Y2K, that, that Jesus was talking about something coming. They didn't understand it. They didn't believe it. He was talking about, I'm going to go away from you. And it just didn't seem to click with them so much. He was arrested. Jesus was tried and convicted, right? It was all these false charges trumped up against Jesus. He was hung on the cross. He was executed he was entombed. They put a big old rock in front of the tomb. They sealed it up together, all of them. They went through it. And for them, it turned out to be a disaster. These followers of Christ, they got scattered. Some of them went into hiding together. Their champion, the one in whom they had put all their hopes, he was dead. This is, this is what we're reading as we read through the Gospel of Mark, and we're getting there to Mark 15. He was, he was gone. What was there for them now to keep, to keep them going? Were they going to move forward? Were they going to press on? Were, were they looking at the day as all things new? What did they really have to press on for? Now what? And have you ever felt like that? 
some, something like that just comes in front of you, challenge of life. It confronts you, whether collectively or whether individually. And more often it is individually that we have some big event in front of us and it stops our forward motion. We do not move forward. We, we stop pressing on. If, you're no, if you know, if you know you're about to confront an issue, there is a, a confrontation of epic proportion in front of you. Are you going to keep moving toward it? Or are you, you going to take another path? Are you going to practice avoidance? Just avoid it, go around somehow, some way, figure out a way around this thing. Are you going to turn around and run away, run back? Is it forward or backward? What's it going to be? What do we do? In the Gospel of Mark, there's an interesting example of this, and it's reassuring, and it's encouraging. It encourages us to keep on moving, even after disaster, even after a disaster like we've hooked our future onto something and it's totally gone, and all hope seems to be dead. There is an event there in Mark 16 that that shows us we can keep moving on. It, it gives us this encouragement to press forward. It's an event that unfolds after the crucifixion of Jesus, after he's entombed, after the tomb is sealed. Leading up to this in Mark 15, leading up to the crucifixion, we learn about three women. I want to talk about these women this morning. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and a woman named Salome. They were followers of Jesus. And we read in uh, Mark 15 that they had been with him during his ministry. They cared for his needs. They looked after him. They were at Calvary where he was crucified, and they were witnesses. They watched as Jesus, their savior, their friend, this one whom they had been following for years now, he was executed in front of their eyes. They witnessed his death. When Jesus' body was taken off the cross, Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy man who was a part of this Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin, he was a believer and he requested Jesus' body. Joseph used his own tomb as the place to lay Jesus and entomb him. And Mark chapter 15 closes with these words. These are the last two lines of Mark 15. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where Jesus was laid. So out of the three that I've mentioned, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the, the, the mother of James and Salome, only one of them, Mary Magdalene, saw where Jesus was laid. This other Mary that's mentioned at the end of 15 is Joseph's mom. There's lots of Marys there in the, in the Gospels. So it's just Mary Magdalene that it's documented. She saw where Jesus was entombed. And now she had a desire. Though her Lord was dead and he's been placed in a tomb, she wanted to embalm his body, anoint it with uh, spices. And that became her goal. She had this desire. She had this goal. She couldn't do it the 
following day. The first day Jesus was in the, the tomb was the day that he was executed. The next day was a Sabbath day. He couldn't uh, be attended to because the Jewish custom of the Sabbath, these ladies followed it. They weren't going to be working that day. So it's the following day, which was the first day of the week that they were going to go. She was going to go and embalm his body. Had to wait till that third day. So Mark 16, which was part of our reading on Monday, that's the continuation of the story. And I want to read the first four verses of Mark chapter 16. So follow along if you have your Bible. If not, it'll be up here on the screens. You can use whatever device you have, your paper Bible, Mark 16. These are the first four verses. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. That's the account. And that's all that I want to focus on this morning is this account. And when I was reading this, I stopped. And I had to ask this question. What was Mary thinking? Seriously, what was she thinking? It was this Mary Magdalene. She knew of the place where Jesus was buried. It was Mary who saw a stone, which we just read. The stone was very large. She saw this stone rolled in front of the tomb. It seems that there is some certainty here that she must have mentioned this to Mary, the mother of James, and to Salome. Ladies, let's go anoint Jesus' body. Let's get our spices together, the things that we do for the anointing. But I want to tell you, there's a big stone in the way. It's the only part of the conversation that's recorded that they talked about this. There's this detail that, that these, these women know about. They set out at daybreak. It's very early in the morning. They are obviously anxious to get there. They want to get this done. They didn't wait till half the day was over. I think it was dark where they, they had their things ready as soon as day broke. They were gone. They were on their way. And they're actually talking about the problem that they're going to confront on their way. Hey, there's this huge stone. These three ladies, three little ladies who have to deal with an enormous rock. Who will roll it away? And I ask, what were they thinking? What was Mary thinking? Why would she even get this little crew together to do this? But they didn't stop. That's the amazing thing. I'm reading, they didn't stop. No turning back. They did not turn around. They did not go backward. They didn't go to the city for, to, to recruit uh, six men and a bunch of sticks and uh, limbs of trees that they could use to pry this rock out. There's no record of that. There's no record of one of them complaining. There's no record of one of them, oh, gee, we got this big boulder in the way. Really, Mary, why did you drag me along for this? Nothing. There was a difficulty lying in their path. They kept on going. 
they marched forward. They pressed on, knowing full well that in their path was an immovable obstacle. And I think there's an example here for all of us to take note of. Sometimes there's a boulder in our path. There are these giants in our life. We see them clearly from the distance. We know they're there. And what do we do? That's the question I want to really get into our minds and our hearts today. We know that this thing is in our way. What do we do? Turn around and run? Try to take the path of avoidance? Do we try to ignore it? Maybe if we just ignore it, if we ignore it, maybe it'll go away. So we put off paying bills, right? It'll go away. They'll stop sending me those late notices. Oh, the taxes. I don't need to pay the taxes. Oh, that'll, that'll just take care of itself. You get some confrontational email that's uh, three chapters long. Well, how are you going to deal with that? Well, I'll just, if I hit the delete button, that'll take care of it, right? That's the easy way. There is a pile of clutter. You have, you have junk piling up. Ah, just leave it. It'll, it's not going to take care of itself. You have to correct a mistake. Well, if you just forget about it or walk around it, you know, these are difficulties in life. And often it seems it's our human nature to do these kinds of things. Turn, run, avoid. All because we do not want to face these difficulties square on. That's the human reaction because it's uncomfortable. We want to avoid the pain. We want to shield ourselves from whatever the difficulty is we're facing. And if we feel the shield is good or we've done the greatest avoidance, life's good. It's a good strategy, but it's only a good strategy for temporarily dealing with the pain, dealing with the discomfort and the difficulty. That present moment feels good. Ah, yes. Let me take that letter, uh, you know, from the IRS and just tear it up. Life's good. Now I can go to, now I can go to lunch. Tomorrow you're going to get another letter. But in the present moment, feels great. We feel that temporary relief, but it doesn't deal with the obstacle, doesn't take care of the boulder, doesn't take care of this rock. What does it do? It relegates us to a life of running. It relegates us to a life of avoiding, a life of never confronting that obstruction that's right there in front of us. And we're at the mercy of our fears and our discomforts and our anxieties, distracted from working on and dealing with what is important and standing there right in front of us. In the end, you're going to have to deal with it. Inevitably, you are going to have to deal with the boulder. It's not going to go away by itself. And then what's going to happen? That boulder, which you saw, that giant that was in front of you, is just going to look bigger and heavier after you've waited so long. Now look at the example of these women. Knowing full well that this task before them was enormous, they pressed on. They pressed into it. They did not turn around and go the other way. And when they arrived at the point where they knew they were going to be stopped, they looked up. And what, what, what did they say? What, what did we read? And they saw the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. Ah, you keep on going. 
You, you have that faith to keep stepping forward, to keep marching on, and look what God has done. He rolled the stone away from the very path that they were in. It's like this Y2K apocalypse, right? It turned out to be nothing. Can you believe God? Can you believe God will deal with the boulders in your life? Do you believe he can roll away a stone in your path? Do you believe that he is the healer and he can make all things new? These women had a desire to serve their Lord and they had a goal to anoint his body but a huge boulder stood in their path. It stood in the way of their desire. And what happened? What happened for them? This rock that stood in their way, this huge boulder that stood in the way of their desire and their goal, it became nothing. It became an insignificant little pebble. God can take boulders in your life and reduce them to pebbles. But it's not going to happen when you turn around. It's not going to happen when you practice avoidance. Moses was standing on the coast of the Red Sea. Ah, there are hundreds of thousands of people with him, and he's got the coast in front of him. And what's coming up behind him? The Egyptian army's coming up behind him, right? Then what happened? The waters parted, and the people walked across to the opposite side on dry ground. Huge, huge obstacle. The Lord God Almighty took care of it. After all God had done for them, why didn't they believe he could roll that stone away? That was the problem with these people. They stood on that coast of the Red Sea, and they said, why did you bring us here to die? We should have stayed in Egypt. Why didn't they believe he could roll a stone away from in front of them because they had witnessed so much? We read, we read in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus challenged his disciples to feed the 5,000. I've brought this up before. And then when the 4,000 come along, what do we do? How are we going to fix this problem? I mean, these same disciples, instead of believing such a great obstacle could be rolled away, they fell back. They went backwards. How many of us have learned? How many of you have learned about the care of God when the going was good? How many of you bolstered your trust and your faith in Christ when life was just humming along? The bills were paid. The food was on the table. No one was sick. The sun was shining. Was that when you learned about God's care? Was that when you strengthened your faith? Or was it when you were in a struggle, when you had an obstacle in your path, in your path facing something that we could all call, as the gospel does, a very large stone, and you had no power of your own to deal with that stone, but it was divinely rolled away? Wasn't that the time? Hasn't it been the time that your faith was increased was when you had to put your faith and your trust into God and then you saw him roll that thing away and your faith and your trust and your love for the Lord increased? I got to say that's the testimonies of many of you that have heard. It's been the tough times. It's the times of testing and struggle. That's, that's when God comes through in my own life. That's been the case. It's been the tough times. It's been these times of trial. It's been the times of struggle that I have felt the presence of God 
warmest and closest. It wasn't on the, the day when the sun was high in the sky and it was bright, when everything was as it should be. There was peace and tranquility. No, it was on the dark day when I was shivering cold, when I was in fear and when I was in doubt and I reached to God as feebly as I could. And I hear that whisper in my heart. I will roll away the stone. I had an incident that I talked with a a class on Wednesday. We sat in one of the classes, Julie and I, and I talked about such a day for me. There was something I just thought was a stone in my way. It was a boulder in my path. I didn't know what to do. I did not know how to deal with it exactly. And it was a Wednesday night that I stood at the front. We were a summer in the auditorium. And I stood at the front of that, that auditorium. And, and we were singing and worshiping God. And I just held up my hands and I'm looking to the Lord. God, I need this. I need a miracle, please. Help me. I do not know. And I was down and I was despondent. And here I got... It's a, it's a bad thing, too, when you have to go up and preach. You're having this bad day, and things are weighing hard on you. And, and, and I feel this rock, this boulder is in my path. And what can I do? Except say, Lord, help, help, please help. And in that moment, I received my answer. I, 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 my solution came to me. I felt this, this, this warm vibration in my heart. And I reached in and took out my cell phone. <laughs> I'm not lying. That's what happened. And there was my answer. God had, I mean, in that, it was an amazing day for me. My boulder was rolled away. And I wish every time I responded that way, and yet I still need those reminders from time to time, I don't respond that way. I'm trying my own way, or I am taking the path of least resistance and trying to get around something when I should be saying, it's that tough time, God, you answered me before, and you will do it again. These women They didn't understand the complete reality of the resurrection. We know that. There is no doubt that their faith had room to grow and to expand. They weren't there yet. They weren't uh, never going to have a day or a problem that they weren't going to be doubting and questioning, but they had spent enough time with the Lord Jesus Christ to realize that despite this enormous thing that was in their path, they were going to keep on going. When we think this trial that was in front of us is too big to bear, grace can turn the worst trial in our life into a blessing. Uh, How many examples, how many examples can you find in the Bible? How many could you find in your own life for that matter? And the Bible's full of them. Who will roll the stone away when the trial suddenly and strangely went away or became so much lighter. And the army of Israel, in fear of the, this Philistine Goliath who came out and mocked them for 40 days, who will roll away the stone of Goliath? 
And then the, the, the Lord emboldens this young man named David, and he comes along and he says, I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, and Goliath goes down. That stone is rolled away. The disciples of Jesus, they're fearing for their life, thinking they're going to be tossed out of the boat into a raging sea. Jesus calms the storm. Stone rolled away. God rolled away the stone of the fiery furnace for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Peter was sinking, sinking in the water. That stone was taken care of. Jesus reached down and lifted him up. Are you facing a stone? Are you? Have you already concluded it's just too big? Too big, can't deal with it. Do you believe it can't be rolled away? It's not going to happen. Now, these women found out the stone was rolled away. And not only that, what else did they discover? They went to do a job. They came prepared to do work. Not only was the stone rolled away, they didn't have to do the work that they were thinking they had to do. Jesus' body was gone. So who embalmed his body? These women didn't have to do the job. I'm amazed when I read this. They had this thing in front of them. They kept on going. Not only did that thing get out of their way, they didn't even have to do the work that they had planned to do. Now, latch on to that this morning because your Lord and Savior can do the same thing for you. I mean, they discovered that task was done. What has hindered Jesus Christ? Was the walls of the cave too thick to hold him in? No. Was the stone too heavy? No. No tomb, no matter how thick it is, can hold down Jesus Christ. No cave deep enough can keep him in. No stone, no matter how big it is, can't be rolled away. And you might wonder, you might ask, who's going to get rid of it? Who's going to roll it away? God has better things in store for you than your fears, better things prepared than you can even hope for. But you can't be dependent on your own strength. And I thank God I'm not dependent on my own strength. See, the stone is gone. See, that stone in front of you is gone. And see that the tomb is empty. And the task you might be preparing for, you don't even need to do. Do you have a stone today? I, I don't want to close this service without asking you and allowing you the opportunity to come to the Lord and say, take it away, God, take it away. You can stand. I, I know it's my personal testimony and things don't work exactly the same for everybody. There's no formula here. There is no, if you do this, this is going to happen. But I do think back to that day where I just stood before God and I said, God, I'm giving it all to you. I stand here worshiping you, praising you as my God. I don't know what to do deal with this. Please help me. And he did. And I want to give you that, that opportunity this morning. Before we walk out of here, you got an issue, you got a trouble, you got just something that's, that's gnawing at you. You think it's too big. God can take care of it. Come on down and let's pray. We have people here who pray with you. And if you don't, you, you just want to offer your, your need to God out of your own heart, that's fine too. Follow him forward today as you go. Follow him with boldness. Whatever rock is in your life, God can reduce it to a pebble. Keep moving forward. Forget the past. Forget what's behind. 
Confront that thing straight on because you got your Lord and your Savior. He's risen. The tomb is empty and he's behind you. He is with you. And he can take care of whatever that obstacle might be. Keep pressing on, Father. Thank you for your grace, your love that's in this room today. God, I pray it would be uh, felt tangibly by all who are here, any and all, God, that might have something in front of them. It's been an anxiety. It's been a fear. God, crush that thing. Roll it away. Give them a testimony of that. Lord, I pray that they would come in how you rolled a stone away. Oh, God, I pray that the path would be bright. It would be new. It wouldn't be that old fear. It wouldn't be that old anxiety. It wouldn't be that old avoidance. But God, that you would make those things new, a new pathway of faith, a new pathway of being emboldened because we stand with our confidence in Jesus Christ. Bless everyone here with that, God. Bless them as they go. And we pray, God, for it to be done. Expectingly, God, by faith in Jesus' name, amen.